Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. Michael and I will share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, For more information on Michael or myself or forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, your co-hosts, The Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. Hi, and welcome to the show. This is Tuesday. We kind of got mixed up a little bit this morning. We were thinking it was Monday because we were off yesterday. Not off of the show, but just off from doing some other stuff. So anyway, this is Tuesday, May the 31st, 2016. And our call-in number is 646-200-4169. Press 1, and that puts you in queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and your questions, because that makes this your show. And before I say welcome, Michael, and we do have a couple hands up already, um, I would like to say we did our first newsletter blast out yesterday, so check your emails. If for some reason you didn't get it, do two things. One, look in your spam box, make sure it didn't throw in there, and add us to your contact list so that you'll get them from this point forward. And the second thing is, is if it's not in your spam box and you didn't get it, maybe you're not in our database or we have your information incorrect. So if that's the case, if you would write me at Jeannie, that's J-E-A-N-I-E, at whyagain.org, then I'll be sure and get you added on, and I'll forward you the email that we sent out yesterday. So welcome, Michael. Thank you, dear heart. Welcome, everyone. We're honored, blessed by the fact that you're here with us once again to carry forward this understanding of first century Aramaic forgiveness, a technology so powerful that either through design or through misunderstanding, was virtually disappeared from the planet. I suspect design was disappeared and turned backwards. We were told that if we're in upset, it's all somebody else's fault and we should just forgive them. Let them off the hook and then things will get better. The exact opposite of what was taught in the first century Aramaic. If you're in pain, if you're in turmoil, then there's an energy in you that needs to be removed. When that energy moves in you, you can put it into your brain's image of anybody, whoever happens to show up and resonate that. But letting them off the hook will not change the root of what's happening inside of you, will not change the root of the pain that needs to be removed. Thinking and speaking about them as cause, we define as denial. And when in denial, the energy that's causing my pain, I hide from myself by saying, you made me. You made me sad. You made me afraid. You hurt me. You, you really have a problem. Have you ever said that to somebody? The question I ask there, kind of tongue-in-cheek is, if they're the one with the problem, why are you the one with the pain? Obviously, if they're the one with the problem, they'd be the one with the pain. Maybe you're in denial, and that's why you don't know you have a problem. You actually, you actually believe the ludicrous thought that somebody else could possibly cause you pain. Sure, does somebody come up and punch you in the nose and cancel that thought? Nothing that has ever happened in your world, done by anyone, has caused you pain. But the whole language of the world, go sit, I've done it. Go sit in the library. Go sit in a bookstore, sit in the psych section, sit in the forgiveness section, sit in the religion section, sit in the psychology section, and pick up every book you can find where they talk about forgiveness, and you'll notice the author is saying things like, and how did that make you feel? When they did that, did that make you mad? 
when they did that, did that make you? The minute you buy the lie that somebody else can make you anything that isn't already in your mind, you disable yourself in your ability to remove that very energy, and that will be the core of your why is this happening to me again experience. You'll get to live the title of my book until finally you can collapse past the projections that it's all about somebody else. You can find the place in your own carbon-based memory that needs to be cleaned up. And two things, we've developed a test for determining whether or not what you're feeling is yours or not. Very complex, very you know, intricate, difficult test. But here it is, and everybody can do it with a little practice. How do you tell whether or not you're, what you're feeling is yours? Are you feeling it? If you're feeling it, that's all you need to know. And feelings are produced by and large in carbon-based memory. For those who haven't tapped into that concept of carbon-based memory, we offer that. Your energy system is a device that stores every frequency that comes to it, every thought, every feeling, every reality of every generation. You know, when the geneticists first started doing DNA research, they were telling us that 95% of our DNA was junk. I think you're down to about 60% now. I offer you do not have one speck of junk DNA. Your DNA is a perfect record of every thought, of every feeling, of every reality, of everybody in your bloodline, in your generations. And if you let what is stored in your body-mind unit, which if you ask a modern-day physicist, they'll tell you that your body-mind unit is made of the base element is carbon. If you look at a carbon atom, you've got two choices. You can live in carbon-based memory with its drama, its trauma, its pain, its rage, its you know, insanity, and it's blaming everybody else. Or you can live in the mind of Christ. You've got two choices. What was the mind of Christ? The mind of Christ was that mind of love, which is our birthright to live in. We all came in in that mind, and then the world started to put its thumbprints on us. And those thumbprints, those experiences, as they happened, resonated. Those things stored in our genes, and as those things came up and caught our attention and distracted us from being, distracted us from the mind of love, and the mind of Christ, we bought its drama, its trauma, its rage, its guilt, its grief, its fear, its pain, its hatred, its vengeance, its gossip, its slander. We bought it. Now, if you look at the carbon atom, and they knew exactly what they were speaking about 2,000 years ago, where is this mind stored? It is stored in your carbon-based memory system. And if you look at a carbon atom, you'll find that a carbon atom has six electrons, six protons, six neutrons, six, six, six. The number of that which goes against the mind of love in you. You've got to clean it out. You can't clean it out by raging, grieving, hating, fearing, abusing, trying to change somebody else. You can only clean it out by collapsing the story it wants to give you, the perception that it wants to entrap you in. And, and I say that actually erringly because it doesn't have a wanter. It just does what we've trained it, what we in our generations have trained it to do. That's all the mind can do. That's all carbon-based memory can do. Great line in The Course of Miracles. You trained it in its testimony, and as it gave it back to you, you convinced yourself that what it saw was true. You did this to yourself. Stop this conversation about everybody else. You got to take a breath. The key and the core of forgiveness is when you notice that you're feeling something unlike love, you stop and you go, ah, I think I'll take a breath ah, and soften. And as I soften, I'm going to admit to myself this clenched fist, this rageful voice, this desire to reach out and strike out. It's about me. It's mine. i got to stop talking about how it's everybody else's. Having done that, and then knowing what it is that causes your mind to use certain painful data to produce your guidance, 
you interact with that cause properly, and by so doing, you get to collapse the mind of the generations in its insanity. The core tool of forgiveness from the first century Aramaic is the key to this whole process. The word forgive is shebag. It means to cancel. Now, you could cancel them, I guess. That would be murder. You might find yourself in difficulty. You could cancel yourself. That would be suicide. Probably not a wise thing to do. What, in any circumstance, do you have charge and control of that you can cancel that will collapse the perception that carbon-based memory is giving you? You always have the control Pardon, you always have control of the driver that causes a mind to perceive out of dissociated, pained data. And the driver is your goals. What happens when you cancel a goal, you remove the driver for this particular painful perception, and the perception collapses in on itself. As it collapses in on itself, if you follow it in with the active presence of love, then the root of that pain perception, which has been hidden for who knows how many generations, begins to dissolve and disappear from your genes, from your mind, from your emotions, from your body, and you and your bloodline are freed of it. That's the core of the work we're doing. And we're honored to have you here to do it with us. And let's check in. We haven't heard from Dr. Tim in a couple days. See if the young man is here and if there's anything for him to uh, share with us. Uh, I know that uh, Tim had a, we were holding the space, a, uh, an important client that he had to uh, take care of an emergency on Friday. And I know he's got a, maybe a report for us on Thursday's support group and then how your weekend went. I assume you had a, a family shindig yesterday and we're, we're out there playing. And uh, So, Dr. Tim, how do you be, sir? I'm doing quite well, thank you. And yes, we had a awesome. we had a support group on Thursday. We had one other person and myself. A couple other people texted and said they weren't able to make it. So we had a as we've talked about before, these one just one or two other people show up. Often it's some of the most lovely and intense and um, edifying, nurturing support groups. So for those people who are trying to run a support group and they they end up having just one or two people there, I encourage you to keep going because that's it's a wonderful space to be doing this forgiveness work in any capacity is a lovely energy to be in. And um and then we had um I listened to the show on Friday, uh after the fact. Thanks I'm glad the um archives are there and I listened to the show yesterday that was a powerful show and I think you know what I have to add for today is that that the hardest part of this work is what you were just talking about it's right there at the core can I break my denial and if I can break through the denial if I can break through the conditioning of denial which says everyone and everything outside of me is causing my emotional pain then all I have to do is put the pen to the paper. Then all I have to do is all of the above. And I don't have to try and figure out how to get out of it or how to dismantle it. It's going to get dismantled if I just do the work. And that's one of the the great benefits I see to the work you've collected and the archived shows. And I was driving back from Peoria yesterday and... Um, you know, so for two and a half hours straight, I just got to listen to internet shows and the how-to of forgiveness work, and and just remind myself of if I can break through the denial that says somebody else outside of me is causing my pain, my emotional pain, my psychological pain. If I can break through that, then all I have to do is use the tools. All I have to do is tap, breathe, cancel the goals, put the pen to the paper in the worksheet process, put the pen to the paper for the mind shifter tool, put the pen to the paper for the three earliest memories of conflict or three early memories of conflict. They don't have to be the earliest. 
and things start to get dismantled. The garbage that keeps me from being able to tap into my true nature as the essence of love falls away, and what I'm left with is direct conscious awareness of my true nature, which is loving, which is joyful, which is creative, and... um, that's my offering for today. I would love to just see who the hands are, who up, and if we have our friend from Hawaii is calling back to process more. She had a question at the end of the show yesterday that we didn't have time to get to. So that's my offering. Awesome. And in the context of that offering, I, I love the uh, the quote that comes from um, Marcus Bach or Richard Bach. We teach best that which we most need to learn. And I'll tell you, every time I get to say that, <laughs> I can do that piece that I did for the intro, I get to hear it on another level for me. And it's, um, you know, when you've got a thousand generations screaming in there, no, no, it's their fault. <laughs> it's it's quite a trick to make that turnaround. And, you know, you look at, if you do the math, in just 30 generations in anyone's bloodline, they're in excess of 1.7 billion people. 1.7 billion unresolved voices screaming out. Now, of course, the skills, the wonders, the beauties that they had are there as well. But by and large, when the stress is up and the chips are down, the voices screaming out of those 1.7 billion lives are the ones of unresolved pain takes a lot of courage to drop in there and clean that up. It takes a lot of courage to open Pandora's box and, and do that work. So I'm right with you, Tim, and I sure do appreciate your ongoing support in every way. The, the, the amount of time you're on the show with us, the number of times at the last minute you jump in and take over the show, the ongoing financial support that you give us, it's all just such a gift and such a blessing. And we are working diligently with this uh this few months that we've got here in Florida to uh, to get things ready to move to the next level. I don't know if you saw the email, but Jeannie just did an awesome job of putting that together, and that's a result of probably, golly, I don't know, 500 hours work on the database in the last few weeks and then putting that together. So if you haven't seen it, take a look at it. And if you're uh, not on the list, you can go to uh, to the website, whyagain.org, and up near the top, Jeannie has put, right about the center top, has put a link in where you can add yourself to our, our uh, mailing list. So if you want to get that, uh, then go ahead and do that. If you have corrections, uh, you can email them to Jeannie at whyagain.org, and we'll keep you posted. We're going to start doing this more often. We're going to start putting some writing into that newsletter and uh, some specials on a weekly basis. And so things are moving forward on all fronts. We're uh, we're still working diligently to put together the uh, the members' site. And uh, there, I'll just mention briefly that there is some information on a fundraiser. When we started to do that project, we didn't realize that some of the videos and audios that we had recorded were such old technology that it just was not compatible with today's uh, streaming videos. And uh, we didn't realize when we started that whole project and we were well into it, a lot of energy and and, uh, time and money into it. And uh, it turns out when we go to bring up or transfer the videos over that in order to do that whole thing and get them out there and reproduce, we're looking at about a $10,000 bill. So if anybody would like to help us with that, if you've been benefiting from this work, we invite you to go to the site, click the link, and share your support. Beyond that, we are honored and blessed to be here. Jeannie, you've got some hands up. Let's say hello. We do. And the first one is 517. You're on the air. Hi, this is Rex. How's everyone doing? Hi, young man. We haven't heard your voice in a while. How are those babies doing? Uh, they're doing well. Yeah, both of them are doing very well. Thank you. Uh, Good. We saw the picture the other day of uh, Brea's little one. She is so adorable. Shaley is, yes, it's amazing. <laughs> They're both precious, and Shaley's at that point where uh, 
she reminds me of that quote from Einstein, or it was said to be a quote from Einstein when he grew up. Um, he had said, somebody asked him, well, why did you wait till three years old to talk? And he says, well, I just didn't really have anything useful to say, I guess is his you know, purported answer. And I, and I thought mm-hmm. that was kind of interesting. Watching Shaley, I can just have a regular conversation with her, and she'll just, she'll just give me the limited response as to what needs to be communicated so that then she is able to make sure I know what she's saying and she knows what I'm saying. You know, and so there's so there's a, a, a common com- communication happening there, and right. I found most of the time, I just think thoughts, and she responds that way as well. So it's very intriguing in so many different ways to watch and and letting go of any ex- expectation or idea about how quickly our quote quickly our children should talk or should be this way or should be that way, and just really. Um, marveling in the beauty of her own brilliance and allowing that to come forth in her timing. And so that's a pretty big piece for me to be reminded of on a regular basis. Well, it's pretty cool the work that you've done and that Mitzi's done and that Bray has done that uh, Shaley is probably going to have one of the best chances in this generation for staying awake in her spiritual faculties of anybody that's been on the planet to date. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, and Zach, your, uh, you know, our, our son-in-law and Bray's husband is very much on board with, you know, being conscious and present about what he says and how he interacts with her and how important it is to remind her that, you know, she's love and love is her, you know, the whole piece. So it's a, it's a team effort. And, uh, yes, it's exciting to see the generations now with, you know, I think a, a cleaner opportunity. You know, in a, a, a smoother yeah, transition. Sure. Yeah, yeah, and that's what it's all about. I, you resonated something in the conversation today, um, which I thought was intriguing. I, I was going to bring it up briefly, but I have another reason for my uh, my uh, call today, for my raising my hand. But what was resonated was um, I, I was looking at the uh, the uh, Southern Poverty Law Center, um, you know, SPLC a group that I follow that I had shared last time I shared uh, intelligence report um, about Donald Trump and about how the politics and such. Well, they sent me a, right. a, a renewal form, and in this form it shows anti-government patriot groups from 1995 to 2015. And it shows during the Bush administration, 2001 to 2008, um, it ranged from 158 to 149, I quote, patriot hate groups, okay? When Obama was elected in 2009, 512 the first year, 824 the next, 1,274 the next, and in 2012 it peaked at 1,360. And to date, the last recorded uh, was in 2015 was 998, and today it's 892. So I, I, I found it intriguing because we would, the outward appearance would be to look at this and say, well, gosh, you know, here's a black man or a president that was African-American that became into office, and then all of a sudden all these people started sharing and started being hateful and setting up groups and, and organizing and da 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 And what my perception is of this is rather than that be the case, it was resonated for them. It was in them all along, and they were actively doing their own, quote, groups. They might not have been as organized, were to be detectable, but by President Obama coming forth and being present as a resonating device, as a aspect that's going to trigger those things in us, our own hate, our own sure. fear, our own doubts, all of a sudden all these groups started springing up. So I just thought that was intriguing to really keep into perspective for all of us how important it is that when, when these things start to change in the world, things whether they be political, diet, you know, and you go across the board, medical, um, a lot of it has to do with exposure. And, and for me it's, it's uh, this amazing tool we call the internet is bringing that to such an accelerated 
level that I don't know if we can really even hide from all of our hate and fear anymore. It's becoming so um, available in our society. I was browsing through movies last night, going to look at a movie, and just one more movie after another. Now it's Memorial Day. I got that. But it was just battle, 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 fight, 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 fight. And and I just I, I think it's really important. It, were, it is another symptom, I, I propose, that another symptom of how we're getting closer to reaching a, um, a critical point in time where we change it all. And uh, I would love any input on that thought, and then I'll share with you my question that I had regarding what I called other than that. Well, my take would be right on, although from day one, it's been, to me, kind of silly to call Obama a black man because he's not. His mother was white. His father was black. Mm-hmm. How that categorizes him, that I don't know, but it is, it is an interesting label to use. And, and yes, when people are resonated into activity, they get to look. And there's certainly been lots of looking and lots of people who've gotten a chance to look at their insanity. And hopefully, with the fact that there are so many different approaches to healing and so many different people who are really doing uh, some pretty deep healing work, the reason why that number's dropped down since 2012 is because there is a, a mass shift of energy going on, and uh, I certainly hold the space for that. Cool. Well, the question is on a different subject, um, but it is online with uh-huh. what, what it is you did in the opening um, segment. Uh, it right. is a, a common thing that I think we, well, I know I run into in my work and our world, and I'm, I'm fairly certain that it happens out there quite a bit, and that is, uh, would you please define and differentiate, um, if you could, the the three main pieces in the forgiveness process and also in our, you know, regulatory speech? And it, it plays across the board with everything we're doing as far as I'm concerned. And that is um, thought, feeling, and emotion. And my primary reason for doing it, Paul's on the call as well, um, because we're working on our uh, our curriculum and we're at a place where we're opening up. You know, we've already introduced thought and feeling and so forth, but now we're getting into a very specific place. And it, it's it's uh, I realize. Well, here's when you said we're, we're thinking, we uh, are are learning. We teach what we need to learn most. Now that I'm breaking this process down into such an intricate matter, and Paul and I are, um, where every single word, where if we say a word in the curriculum, we've we've got to make sure it's defined as to how we want it presented in the curriculum. Whereas I haven't always had to do that in my work when I'm just speaking in front of somebody because I can just say, hey, well, this is what this means, and then move on, you know. But it's amazing how much I realize personally even though I thought I had a pretty good understanding of the difference between emotion and feeling, um, and you and I have even talked about it, maybe even on the program, I realized as of last week in doing research and dictionary um, uh, definitions and different um, idea systems out there, psychologists, psychiatrists, you know, different people with different venues or different ideas, how different people view emotion and thought, and it's very common knowledge for all of us how much people say, I feel, and then they follow it with a thought. So if you could speak to that, I would love to hear your ideas on that, Michael. And Tim, you're, I'm, I'm open to hear yours as well. I would love to hear, Jeannie, if you have anything to share. Um, and it's just to really help hone and get clear on how we use it in our process with delivering it to people. Cool. Good question. Good question. So my take would be that a feeling is a sensation in the energy field. So it might be that I put my hand over a hot stove and I get the sensation of heat. That would be a feeling. Now, if, let's say, uh, when I was three, cancel the thought, 
I watch someone fall into a stove and burn to death, I may have a lot of terror around that. So that would be an emotion. So the feeling would be the sensation of heat. And if somebody grabbed my hand and forced it over the stove, I might feel that sensation. And then I might feel the emotion that comes around that experience that's in memory. And the emotion would be a reflection of the thoughts that I have about that experience. So if I had, you know, the emotion, let's say as a, as a child, this was a person who'd abused me and I had the emotion of hatred toward them and they fell into the fire and I watched them burn to death, I might have an emotion of delight. Good, I got rid of them. And, and a thought of safety that produces that. So the sensation of heat is there, the feeling of heat, and then the emotion based in the thinking that I have. If that were someone that I cherish deeply that I watched that happen to, then my thoughts might be quite different than delight. Now I'm safe. I'm rid of that person. My thought is one of loss and maybe terror and trauma. And so now I have all kinds of emotions based in thought and terror and trauma. So shortest form, that would be my take on it. Does that get to the core of what you're looking at? Yes. There uh, also seemed to be a piece, um, and I think it it might fit right in with what you were just saying, to emote would be something that is done externally. But what I'm hearing you say, you can have an emotion that's also still internal. Well, to emote is to take something that's internal and make it external. Okay. It's not it's not all external. So if I emote, I've got this yeah. this thing going on inside of me that I never let anybody say I never do anything about it, and all of a sudden it explodes and I go raging and screaming. I'm emoting, but I'm taking something that's inside and reflecting it outward. It's not something that's a totally outward experience. That would be my take. Yeah, that's helpful. Internal and make it external. So then that comes back to the next point of um uh, the, the idea of feeling and emotion. You can have an emotion that's internal and external. It can be expressed. You can expressed feel it ter- externally, you mean? Um, well, it would be expressed externally, externally, yes. But you yeah. can experience an emotion internally as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, okay. a thought just needs and, to move in me, and whatever energy I've got attached to that thought, I'm going to experience as the emotion connected to it. Well, it's in line with what I'm thinking and what I've thought all along, but I just, I'm asking these questions because I want to hear it from another source. Sure. <laughs> and I get clear on where it's, and that's, you know, because it's very helpful. It's interesting because when we started looking at, you know, dictionary terms and started looking at some of the psychologists and how they've got, you know, their breakdowns and psychiatrists and that whole, um, the therapist realm about the difference between emotion and, and feeling. And Paul had a person that he was working with as a medical doctor talking to him about it and and saying a brief questionnaire about, you know, how that works and, you know, what these are these thoughts or are these words, feelings or emotions. And he gives a whole test and he says almost everybody answers them inaccurately because hardly anybody really is aware of the difference between feelings and emotions. And then most people say, I feel, and I hear it all the time, especially on any kind of talk shows, and you mentioned it earlier in the program today, I feel that they should have done it differently. Right, yeah. <laughs> Unconscious you know, well, substituting thoughts for feelings, yeah. That's, that's and, just so typical in the world, yeah. And I think that's all in the effort to keep uh, keep out of touch with the sensations going on in their bodies because they're too painful yes. to deal with. Yes, and then it's stuck it in your head. Into, you don't have to feel it. Right. And then it leads into every time I make a statement of that nature, then what I am doing is I am telling my mind, I'm giving my mind a definition for feeling that isn't accurate inside me. And then when I go to draw that feeling out that I want to heal, 
then I am going to have almost like I, the way I looked at it is, and the way I see, I'm seeing it is that my computer says, I click on the word feeling, I write it in there, and it says thoughts about blah, 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 because that's what I've said over and over again, like I just did. You know, I, you know, I think that rather than I feel that. Right. And yep. then the computer pulls that up, but then I go, no, 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 I, I want to know what I feel. <laughs> and then you have a whole different scheme of information that we've given my, I've given my carbon-based mind that says feeling equals this. And then there's sensations. And then I also have in that definition of feeling all these different emotions. What happens to a mind, Michael, when that is all in there and I am asking for that information? Well, you've heard me say before that I've often thought of going and petitioning Congress to form a 51st and a 52nd state because most people live there. The 51st state would be denial and the 52nd state would be the resultant confusion because of the denial and dissociating from content in the mind. And that's, I believe that's one of the reasons, you know, it's interesting, you go back to Plato, and Plato would say, let me define the words and I'll end the argument. The key to it is in order for us as humans to communicate and transfer information to each other, we have to have a common definition of the words, which is virtually impossible when you realize all of the experiences, when you realize the file folder effect and all of the experiences that each person has attached to any word. You know, I mean, a whole lifetime and a whole genetic jar of experiences attached to every word going. And I think that's reflective of, of that statement in the scriptures that talked about the Tower of Babel, that everybody went away speaking a different language. You know, mm-hmm. what you referred to with your, uh, your granddaughter with Shaley a few minutes ago to me was your granddaughter is still living in the plane of vibration and is able to receive and send communication without reference to words. And we get dragged down out of that because that's taking us up to another realm. We get dragged down out of that into words in the mind, which have all kinds of, because of the file folder effect associations and, you know, on and on and on goes the list. So, it, until one is able to go in and, to me, do the work of clarifying their mind, throwing out the incorrect associations and redefining their vocabulary, it's, it's virtually impossible to live a sane life. Mm. Virtually impossible. And, you know, just take a look around, you know. How many, how many people, 175,000 according to Columbia University, have been murdered in war in the last 75 years on planet Earth? I mean, how insane does it get? Yeah, it's a very My offering good is that all of that is because people can't communicate because they speak different languages. So great questions. Mm-hmm. Let's check with Dr. Tim and see if he has any thoughts to put into the discussion. I would agree with what Michael said, and I would just advise to simplify it. I mean, it used to be that they had lots and lots of debates about this, and psychologists for years debated what came first, the emotion or the thought, and how are they related. Well, they're clearly connected, and now that they have the work that Candace Pert and Bruce Lipton did, we know that if we choose certain thoughts, it will literally generate the chemicals that float around our system until they land on cells that have the receptor sites for it. They're called neuropeptides, and it tells ourselves what to do, and we end up living with the sensations that were created by our thoughts, and those are what we're calling emotions. So that's the only piece I would add is just to keep it simple and have the, make, the, make it clear that an emotion is a, a reflection of the thought, and it's a physiological process and the sensations that come from that. Great clarity. Jeannie, do you have any thoughts to add to that, any input? No, I think that was great. Thank you all. I'm I'm just attempting to type the notes about what you just said in, in a synopsis instead of <laughs> that was awesome. Cool. Awesome. Rex? 
Any other thoughts? It would be. And or uh, is Paul out there? Does Paul uh, want to join the discussion? Actually, he did. He did. Um, well, could you? Uh, he has a question. Paul, would you put your hand up and maybe Jeannie can get you in on the conversation because he texted me, but I'd rather he just said it directly. His area code is. He is eight five eight four 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 six seven three six. So Jeannie, is, do you see eight five eight? Paul, if you push one, that'll put oh, your hand up, and Jeannie, you'll rise to the top of the list, and we'll get to say hello. How are things in California? Things are awesome out here. <clears throat> Just oh, having good. A grand old time. How are you all? We are rocking along. We're doing well. Thank you. Good. good. Um, yeah, I was texting Rex. I had a couple of questions to, to get clarify further for me. Um the last few moments we've been talking about um, emotions being linked to thoughts. And the feeling example you gave was an external sensory experience. You said it's a, sensor, it's a sensation in the energy field. Um, and we also use the term feeling around, like in the um, forgiveness worksheet, you know, what are you feeling? It doesn't ask about your emotions. That's about feeling, and you know, people say I feel angry, or um, and I'm just, you know, still not clear on. I, I understand how memories, thoughts, uh, are linked with um, emotions or feelings. So when you have a thought and experience, a feeling comes up with it, and. Uh, uh, and I get the, the idea of a feeling as an external, you know, when somebody grabs you on, you can feel it. Uh, and that's the wording we use. And I kind of have in my mind, so I'd like clarity on it from your perspective, that feelings are, besides the external sensory experience, you know, if you feel fear, um, the outward expression of that can be a number of emotions. It could be anger, for instance, which is, I think, a pretty typical emotion that comes based in fear. And I would categorize that as the fear is the feeling, and the anger is the expression of that. That's the emotion. So I've added hopefully some value to this conversation here with those questions. Yes, and you know, I would I would refine that the anger is actually the defense mechanism against experiencing the fear. That it mm-hmm. it actually becomes the drug to anesthetize oneself in order that they don't feel or have to deal with the fear. And it all, in that case, falls into the category of. You know what? What sensation? There's a sensation to fear in my body. There's an emotion that I call anger, that also creates a sensation in my body. And paying attention to all of it, I think, is important. Mm-hmm. So I, I hear your thoughts there and your questions there. Should we perhaps be changing the word in the worksheet from feeling to emotion? I'm not sure at this moment. It raises How do you a good feel question. about it? <laughs> How do you feel about it? He's, Actually, I'm kind of in my thoughts about, about it right now. <laughs> he's happy because he's learning. <laughs> yeah, and Michael, the, the challenge we're facing is, um, and Rex was quite you know, clear in why we're bringing up the conversation, and that is it's one thing to teach things to people person to person in a large group, one-on-one, because you have the flexibility of watching what they say and you adjust your language. And you say, okay, well, it's not clear. I'll, I'll rephrase this for you. And in some of the initial training, most of the initial training we're developing, it's a fixed medium. So it's going to be words on a page. It's going to be perhaps supported by, you know, videos or audios um, that they can link to. And when you put it in writing, as Rex is experiencing... <laughs> I'm sure he has some feelings and emotions around this. <laughs> the challenge of putting it into clear 
language that we then consistently hold through the entire program or the entire course. So we introduce the term feeling and emotion, and we make a distinction between that. We've got to be really clear. If they're not the same thing, then they are different things. So how are they different? How do you know one from another? And how do you separate it from a thought with the other? So I have part? I have some input there. That would be great. Thank you. So I can feel, I have a feeling of a pillow being soft and my desktop being hard. I can feel a sensation. And I can feel the sensations that follow thoughts if I've poured enough energy into the thoughts. And those sensations are emotions. So when I get to that part of the worksheet process, and it says, how do you feel now? I have people take a breath, scan their body, and just say the word or words related to how they feel. They can say, I feel hot. They can say, I feel cold. They can say, I feel pressured. They can say, I feel sad, confused. So I let them know the word feeling can be about a physical sensation or an internal emotional sensation. And I specifically reserve the word emotion for the physical, internal physical sensations that are generated in this energy system when I've poured enough energy into a set of thoughts that generate a neuropeptide that circulate around my system and cause that internal sensation that we identify as an emotion, happy, sad, etc. And so... In agreeing with what Michael already said about anger being the drug that anesthetizes me from feeling the pain or the fear, I would add to that that that's also an emotion. And it's generated by the thought, they had no right to do this to me, this shouldn't be happening, this is unfair, etc. So if I think the thoughts about this is wrong, I'm right, this shouldn't be happening, that person's a bad person, they're disrespecting me, whatever, and pour enough energy into it, I will generate the internal sensation of the emotion of anger. And most of us find that highly preferable to the internal sensations of sadness, fear, and emotional pain. Good clarification. Okay. So then in the worksheet process, when we get to that point, if somebody says, um, <clears throat> I'm feeling heavy, I'm feeling stuck, I'm feeling, I let them use whatever word, whether it relates to a physical sensation or an emotion, and then we move on to what they might have seen about the original event, and all of it can be fodder for future worksheets. Thank you. Yeah, it's good, Tim. Thank you. Uh, so, so to tie this all together, if we could, Paul, did you have something else there, brother? Um, yeah, honestly, I'm. Let's see here. Um, Tim just answered that are all feelings based on sensory experiences. Um, well, I can say from my yeah. end, trying to type the yeah. minutes to this, I'm confused. <laughs> and I, and honestly, I'm confused too, Jeannie. <laughs> and, and maybe so that's I my linear. Yeah. yeah, I right. typed it one way, and then I'm like, okay, I think that's contradictory. So if we can sum this up somehow, because I think I just really confused anybody that's going to read this. <laughs> Okay, so then and, and remember that confusion the, is a signal of healing. Right. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> coming coming to new clarity. So so the point I was trying to add to clarify is that a feeling I categorize that as a a an, a sensation I can be aware of, internal or external. It's a physical sensation I can be aware of. And an emotion is specifically related to the reflection of those energies that follow a thought. If I pour enough energy into a thought like 
this is bad, this is sad, this is scary, then it generates within me these energies that look like chemicals, they look like neuropeptides, and that's what we're what we when we experience the shift in our internal physical sensation we call it emotion and when i use the word feeling it can be for a tactile feeling or you know an external feeling or the internal you know awareness of sensation feeling is the awareness of sensation and an emotion is this internal experience created by pouring enough energy into thoughts that it generates this chemical response within me. Right. And, That's better. and if you go to the opening words in the book of John, the opening words in the book of John do not say, as we've been told, they say, in the beginning was the word and the word became flesh. It says in the beginning was the mind energy, the mind energy became flesh. And one of the things that we're doing when we, as Tim's talking about, pour a lot of energy into this particular thought, creating this particular emotion, the same, the thought that would produce one sensation, feeling, emotion in my structure, the exact same thought because of what it's going to resonate for this other individual and the you know, 1.7 billion people in their genetic bloodline in the last 30 generations is going to be something totally and completely different. It's going to have, if we, I suspect, I haven't gone into the lab to do this, but I suspect if we were to go in and pick out one of these, we took a person and gave them each, a, let's say, a thought that was tied to something like terror and we gave this person this terror thought and we immediately were able to pull a neuropeptide out and analyze it and we had a second person and gave them this same terror thought and we pulled out the the neuropeptide and were able to analyze it they'd both be completely different because they these thoughts resonate historically genetically a whole range of different things and that's one of the reasons why the Number one pseudo-solution, the way I categorize it, of the non-being mind, is if I could just figure it out. That's one of the reasons why it's just a pseudo-solution. You're never going to figure it out. What you can do when you face hate, fear, anger, rage, guilt, grief, drama, trauma, and a million other words we could use to represent the neuropeptides gathering, moving, coming out of the, uh, the what, what word should I use, the muted state in our genes maybe from 30 generations back when great great grand great 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 grandfather stood in the same or similar situation to this one that I'm in today and the neuropeptides he put together that are stored there all of a sudden are pulled out of my genes they come out of that muted state and they form this neuropeptide that becomes this totally new sensation that I've never felt and god where did this come from I can't figure that out but Here's what I can reliably do, according to the genius Yeshua 2,000 years ago. I can look at the goal that drives the process. I can collapse the perception that comes from 30 generations ago, great-grandfather's pain and trauma and everybody that's tapped into it since. I can collapse into it. I can bring the active presence of love to it, and I can dissolve what never belonged to my structure and heal. And that's the real key to the process. Awesome. Thank you Excellent. so much, everybody. Excellent. Yeah, great, great. Uh, I, I, uh, I've i said this a number of times. I'm going to say it for all of us. I value the resource and the ability to ask questions to get a lot of clarification and things, you know. And um, I, I, The last piece that links to this, and we've talked a lot about thought, but one of the the phrases that you say, Michael, that has just resonated so many different times in my mind when I'm just being present and open, and that is, if most people said what they thought, they would be speechless. They'd be speechless. Yep. Can you can you speak to that related to thought and how we're yes. using the word thought, please? Absolutely. The thinker is the being. You hold that newborn child, and the energies that it puts into its structure are thought. They're original frequencies going into the structure. 
everything that resonates in the structure was once a thought. Great, 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 great grand, grandfathers thought of terror and trauma and rage and attack to protect himself. When that happened as original mind energy for him, it was a thought. And now it's just a neuropeptide floating around in the structure, repeating itself, mimicking, pretending to be something real, live, and present, and its whole existence is just a fraud. It's just a frequency floating around in the system. It is not a live, fresh, present moment experience. And so to... to clarify and to recognize that every time that something is not keyed to love in my experience I have the opportunity to drop into wherever that came from by canceling the goal that I hold for the moment and as I drop into that and bring that mind of active present love that's when the traumas and the dramas simply dissolve and fall away. Someone who, you know, their whole lives, they thought about the death of a person in their life and, and they would just be in wailing and gnashing of teeth and, teeth and terror and trauma and, oh, my God, are the, and expose all the generational patterns of terror and trauma around the death of a loved one to the active presence of love or what was called the mind of Christ, and all of that dissolves. And all of a sudden, that person, now having healed their mind of the past, was thinking, oh, I have terror about somebody dying. No, you don't. You've just got terror. So dissolving that and freeing oneself from that leaves one available to be a thinker rather than a repeater of what was put in the structure from the past. Perfect. Does that make sense? That- that makes it, it makes perfect sense. That's mm-hmm. uh, your articulation. I love it. I'll listen to it again. And I I use something similar, which is Rex's way of saying it. But yes, it's that past data information that we're accessing, thinking we're thinking, and we are exactly. we're we're thinking a mirror. We're thinking uh, it's like listening to a recording device and then saying it rather than actually being present in the moment fully as a being. And I love what you said, the thinker is the being. Yeah, recycling the thoughts. Yep, recycling the thoughts, and it's all resonating. Wonderful, great clarification. I I, I apologize to the caller. It looks like we're not going to have time to get to them, but thank you, everyone, so much for your feedback and input. Uh, Listen to it again, and uh, we'll get back to work on doing our our curriculum process here. Thanks for all the help. That's great. That's great. Great, great I can't wait to hear I yeah, can't let's keep the conversation to, going right. if there are other clarities. Excuse me, go ahead, Paul. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, pretty clear on it now, and I can't wait to hear, uh, wait to, to read uh, Jeannie's um, rendition of this in, in, in text. <laughs> I'm looking well, forward to any that. Of, cool. <laughs> any of you that read it, please feel free to email me and say, nope, you got yeah, this wrong. Feedback, <laughs> cool. Okay, and and I have a really strong inclination to throw in another piece to the puzzle here. And that is that all of these past energies, when stimulated by messages that come from a power person, are the energies that coagulate into what we think of as the self, E-G-O, edging God out, edging love, the being out, and becoming the self that has no life. The self that Yeshua said, in order for you being to live, you non-being self have to die. And that's the whole purpose of the forgiveness process, is to cause that non-being self to collapse into nothingness. Because it is nothing but a reflection of past energies held within the system that inhibit the being from coming into full expression in the world. Our idea here is to support incarnation, the incarnation of this sweet, awesome, active presence of love that each of us started out to be, and then we gave up our identity to this non-being self and got lost in it. At the best year yet of your eternal life, it's an awesome gift to give the world. Blessings.
Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and myself, Jeannie Rice, as we present the Internal Aramaic Process of Forgiveness. We are here every Monday through Friday from 1 to 2 o'clock Eastern Time on Earth Angels Radio. For more on Michael, myself, or Aramaic Forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. That's www.whyagain.org. A-G-A-I-N dot org.